You are listening to the Fire and Lunch podcast. As a reminder to those listeners wishing to remain unspoiled for the books, run. This is an all-spoiler podcast. All published books and novellas are fair game. Thanks. And who are you? The proud phrase said that I must eat this pie. This podcast is brought to you by Horace S'mores. Before there was Frey Pie, there were Horace S'mores, the number one recommended snack to get you through a dragon siege. Hello, we are Fire and Lunch. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 73, Fire and Blood, Aegon the First. I'm Lauren. I'm Jenny. And I'm Jess. So today we're going to talk about, um, we've decided to break up the Fire and Blood book and uh, talk about specific kings. And we're going to start with Aegon. That is the uh, natural place to start. That is the first. That is the Aegon first. the first. Look, who thought? Who thought that would be the first one? But I guess it is. Um, so we're going to do things a little differently, but we're still going to have some Frey Pry ratings because that's just us. So, um, so what's what's your Frey Pry rating for Aegon as a king, Jenny? I actually think he was a pretty good king, from what I remember of you know the rest of them. That we haven't gotten to in this podcast series, but um, I don't know. I think I'm gonna give I'm gonna give him a Rhaegar. Actually, you know, he managed to conquer six of seven kingdoms, and he managed to reign for longer than a lot of them. And he did have relative peace for a large number of years. So, yeah, I'm gonna give him a Rhaegar. Sounds really weird to give an Aegon a Rhaegar. But I know. I was we're we're, we're going with this. All right, Jess, how about you? Um. Well, if we're talking about him as a conqueror, I'd actually give him a Jared. Uh, but as a ruler, I definitely would give him a Rhaegar. I think he set a solid foundation for a lot of the future kings of Westeros. And we'll talk more about that in terms of his leadership style, I think, is what makes him a Rhaegar. Um, and he shares a lot of uh, attributes with some famous kings and rulers in actual history that I really appreciated. So, yeah, I give him a Rhaegar. I actually have to agree with you on that, Jess. I think as a conqueror, he was kind of meh. But um, but definitely as a ruler, I think he did a good job. I like the fact that, well, that we'll go into it more later, but I do like the fact that he was thinking about the local laws and not just about what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Um so um, I think he was thinking about the people more than thinking about himself. And uh, that, that's a good start for a ruler, as we've learned in this country recently. Um, anyway, moving on. <laughs> so the Quentin Martell Award. Oh, my God, I love this new award. This is amazing. So the Quentin Martell Award goes to Jenny. Well, we should explain what the Quentin Martell Award is. So it's... Uh... What is it, Just Favorite Death by Dragonfire? Yeah, Death by Dragonfire. It's named after the, you know, Prince of Dorne, Quentin Martell. For those of you who have not read Dance with Dragons, I'm sorry, spoiler. He uh, is burned alive, basically. He's a, a s'mores. What, who, who was it that did it? I don't even remember which dragon. I Rhaegal, think it was Rhaegal. It was Rhaegal because Viserion was like, Run, was hiding in the back and making his own little caves at the time. Yeah, so it's sort of rewarded. This award goes to like somebody, you know, best dragon death. Best. A, someone who was like really dumb and got burned by a dragon. Best yeah. best death by s'mores. Yes. So 
this this rain it goes to hair in the black I, as I we think, learned from our sponsor message he makes th- good s'mores he does he definitely does he definitely does um so there were some characters who who were really interesting during this time um this one uh, the first one is is one of my favorites because i i see her as the olena tyrell of aegon the first reign and that's maria martell the also known as the yellow toad um what did you guys think of her? I liked her. Uh, yeah, she was cool. I mean, she didn't, you know, bend the knee to Aegon and outlasted him. Like, he kept trying to fight Dorne and trying to conquer it, but she always was three steps ahead of him. And she sounded like she died at a very old age. So she obviously was doing something right that she yeah, lived she so long. Her- 90s i think by well the time yeah because her died. son was in his 60s and so you know she was doing something right as the leader of dorne to have lasted that long and so yeah she was just a, a boss lady definitely someone who had no fucks left to give mm-hmm. um yeah definitely cool definitely cool then there was also uh there was also oris baratheon who was possibly uh aegon's um half brother but they never really they never really were sure but they definitely were best friends growing up and throughout life. Um, and as Jenny noted, he's also part of Team Stump, one of our favorite things. So- <laughs> <laughs> I got to rep Team Stump for Rachel since she's not here. I know. We do love Team Stump. I mean, hey, I'm a Jamie fan. Team Stump. Yep. Um- <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking with Oris. He was, he was very bitter after he got his hand chopped yes. off by the mm-hmm. Dornish. And I was like, well, Jamie's making it work for him. There obviously wasn't anybody around to make him a golden hand. <laughs> Why he's so bitter. No, Aww. he didn't. He didn't have someone to, to uh, make his arc better in the end. He should. He should have had a dragon glass hand. <laughs> that would have made life Actually, easier. Jamie should have a dragon glass hand. That would be good. But then it would shatter every time he hits a white walker. And that's hard to replace every time. That's true. Would it? Would it? I don't know. No, it wouldn't. Because no, the dragon glass doesn't shatter. The white walker shatter. Well, he, he, he really needs his Valyrian steel hand. Well, oh, my that. God. I could just imagine, like, Jamie just, like, bitch slapping White Walkers and then dying. <laughs> oh, <laughs> With my a dragon poor glass Jamie. Hand. My poor Jamie. I love Poor Jamie, Jamie nothing. I think he's doing okay. <laughs> All right. He's For my man. Minus the dys- dyslexia. <laughs> he's, to- he's totally my man. You know this. All right. So... Um, why don't we go into the books a little now? Um, so we broke this up by chapter and kind of making it easier for us to go through them. Uh, and the first section was about Aegon's conquest. And this basically, you know, starts from uh, the prophecy that is it Danis? Is that how you pronounce it? Sure. Da- oh, whatever. Danis the Dreamer's prophecy, which basically was she knew about the doom of Valeria 12 years before it happened. They took off, were considered, uh, were considered to be weak and pathetic for leaving, yet they're the only of the dragon riders that lived. And so apparently there were not like, there were like two dozen dragon rider families and all of them were wiped out in the doom except for the Targs. And they weren't even the strongest of the, the Targs. So that's, that's interesting that one of the weaker families winds up conquering all of Westeros in the end. But were they weak in the end? Well, they were weaker than the other dragon riders, but they weren't weak so, in the end, no. So history claims. So history claims. But isn't history written by the the winners? So you would think that if they 
were that's true who was naming them as the one of the weaker right family? so this is where it goes anyway so um so what did you guys get out of this chapter Jess? Uh, oh, so for me, it was actually that they weren't that great at, like, conquering, I guess, militarily. I mean, it was a lot of luck. I call it the luck of the dragon. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, a lot of also the internal turmoil of all the Westerosi families fighting each other. They used that to their advantage. But, like, in the long run, like, they, you know, I felt like they had, like, the luck of the dragon. And that was really what allow them to win had it been like pitched battle with just their troops versus other families' troops i don't know if they would have been so successful that's kind of the same feeling i had every time i got to um they couldn't they weren't winning and then a dragon came yeah and, yeah and then i was like okay <coughs> but if you didn't have that dragon what the fuck were you doing like um what what were your feelings on uh on the, <laughs> on the first section um that it was very familiar because I'd read it all before and podcasted about it. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you're right. I mean, they definitely used the dragons to their advantage. But, I mean, that was one of the things that they had on their side. So it's not like they weren't not going to. Would have been dumb to not use them. Yeah, but it makes you wonder how, like how things would have ended up if they didn't have them. Like, you know, yes, in the I, I end, they did. I they would have they, conquered. They, no, no, I'm saying they, def, they, they, they definitely were okay as far as ruling goes, but... but no, if, I, I don't if you think don't they would have would've conquered if they didn't yeah, have dragons. If you don't have that strength... They didn't strength, have the manpower. No, they definitely didn't have the manpower. Yeah, they're going up against armies that are... They're always outnumbered, right? And so the dragons give them that um, competitive advantage. Also that there's three of them and they can sort of divide up and conquer different places right they don't have to just focus Mm -hmm. on one assault but i will say you know even though like they may not be like the best militarily like in the aftermath of the battles you know if you bent the knee they showed mercy and i think that also was successful for them in the long run right Mm -hmm. they had that foresight right yeah but that worked to their advantage too but visenya and 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 aegon were good at it Rainus wasn't so good at it. She was just like, oh, you're not going to bend the knee. Okay, well, we'll come back. Bye. And so she wasn't exactly... Well, but she I wasn't, mean, she wasn't an exactly a, a, a warrior to begin with. She So I'm not quite sure why they were t- sending her out to, to fight against people in the first place. But I mean, the others weren't confronted by Dorne, you know? They, they had easier targets, so to speak. Right. And also, if you have, like, a weapon, like, um, who, which, what's her dragon, Meraxes, right? Then yeah. you're going to use that. Like, it's, you know. Yeah. You're not going to keep your, your main weapon just, like, on the sidelines. Right. No. Right. No, were those their actual words, fire and blood, before that? Or did they become their words after they kept telling everybody that they were going to bring fire and blood? I think it was when they sort of established themselves in Westeros, right? That we need to be like everyone else. And so we're going to yeah. have our own sigil. We're going to have our own house words. Mm-hmm. So basically sort of assimilating to the culture. Well, they didn't assimilate totally. But yeah, I guess they did some. They did, though. I think they definitely did. Well, I mean, obviously not the system. Marrying, right? the, marrying the wives was not exactly. But, you know, taking on the seven, you know, and not sort of. Yeah. I don't even think they mentioned if they had their own gods in Valyria. I'm sure there were, but yeah, they didn't 
Yeah, talk the Targaryens seem like they're um, atheists almost in a way. Atheists, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just always find it interesting comparing like this conquering to Danny's conquering. Well, they've got somewhere. Danny's still. <laughs> All right, not in the TV show, but in the book, Danny's still across the narrow sea. No, I know, but like her <laughs> conquering the the like the slave slavers bay area you know well, yeah, and i think their motivations are are different right aegon's not doing it to sort of free people no so to speak yeah so the motivations are different and obviously the fact that there's like three of them rather than just one one teenage girl what is, what's the line she always says i'm only uh, a i'm a, only a young girl, girl and, and i, I know, know nothing of war i'm just a little girl i know nothing of the ways of war it's a war, quote i yeah. wrote it on the caricature that i did it's on my wall oh there you go <laughs> um no i mean but i mean if you think about it too like you know she did manage to conquer she did have the unsullied on her side as well but i think i think about it more in terms of of how successful she was at ruling versus how successful he was but then again i mean she's going up against people who have a very different culture than her and not giving them a better or not necessarily a better alternative but not giving them an adequate alternative to and also this is where they they differ because Aegon goes out of his way to learn the laws granted to be to be fair to Danny um Slavery is not a, a well, thing to want to follow. That's, that's why I'm sh- saying but, it's, it's yeah. kind of hard to compare. But like, I agree. Like, I I like that Aegon goes, you know, and and tries to, you know, he does, you know, accept culture. You know, his he accepts like the laws and the culture of the people, but and like the religion and everything like that. But also, you know, letting people bend the knee and and accepting people who were his enemies. Right. This time around, I don't feel like she's as forgiving, willing to do that. Yeah. Um, but yes, it is harder when you're going up against a culture that has slavery and you don't want to continue slavery, especially it's since also... you were basically insulted into it yourself. That's yes. what I was gonna say. Like they're coming at it from different perspectives. Like mm-hmm. she's like was a beggar as a child and yes. was enslaved herself, and so she has different motivations that Aegon does. I'm surprised, though, that um, Viserys never never gives her more of the history further back. Like, she's just told of her brother and her father all the no, time. she's told... I think she talks about Aegon, about Aegon and, stuff. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. she doesn't know a lot because she's always asking uh, Barristan Selmy in the book to tell her more so she can hear more stories because she doesn't know as much. Well, I mean... He's only, like, 13, too, you know? And Viserys was only nine. He probably didn't know everything. Well, there's that. Okay, that's fair. All right, anyway, back to Aegon. Yeah, back to <laughs> back Aegon. Back to 300 years ago. Yes. Back to, back to 300 years before. When people still dressed exactly the same. Same, yes. <laughs> yes, they did. Um, so, why do we think that he decided he wanted to be king? Because... It's not really clearly or explicitly expressed why he he felt he he was the one who should be ruling over all of Westeros. I mean, there's the the prophecy stuff that we talked about in the last podcast that, you know, maybe he knew something of what was coming with the White Walkers and all of that. 
Um, it would also explain why he went to Westeros and not to Essos or Southeros to conquer those places. I mean, he's also on Dragonstone, and Dragonstone is, you know, adjacent to Westeros or part of Westeros, or yeah. who knows. So there's that. Um, I mean, and as the the book points out, you know, the painted table exists, so they had to have, you know, been to Westeros and seen it enough to be to be clear, that. yeah, and to have some prior knowledge of what it was. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't, I don't know if they were all always intending to do so. Certainly, the uh, Argalac marriage proposal was a bit of a catalyst for it starting when it did. Right. Because, you know, he made the mistake of being like, hey, marry my daughter. And he's like, hey, I have two wives already. Sorry. Yeah, but like that wasn't that offensive so much as when he offered uh, Oris Baratheon to the to the daughter instead. And yes. and and instead he sent back the messenger's hands. People really say, like chopping off hands. Yeah, this, this, this like it's it's almost like these people are all related to uh, what's his face in the books, but uh, Hoot. Hoot. Yeah, I bet so, he likes s'mores. He likes s'mores. s'mores. There you go. Everybody likes s'mores. Um, so, so yeah. So he he his so now his brother his 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 half brother or his bastard half brother is is been basically um, offended. And now it's it's gotten ugly between them because not only he's he wants he wants Argalac to like Argalac wants him to like be that buffer, but he doesn't like he's going to offend him on top of that. So this is when it starts to go downhill. And uh, so do you guys want to talk about the field of fire a little? Huh? Yeah, I'll talk about the field of fire. I thought it was interesting <laughs> sort of learning sort of how the Tyrells sort of came into their power. Me too. But also, again, how things worked to the Targaryens' advantage, that it was dry, right? The field was dry. There hadn't been rainfall. And so that allowed for it to quickly burn so easily. But also, this happens after Harrenhal, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. So would they not have heard about what had happened there? I feel so- like they had, but they thought, you know... Well, I mean... They say in the in the book that they were well. I mean, one they had significantly more men, so they thought you know that was going to give them an advantage. They also, you know, it was an open field, and so they, I guess, he was fighting more from, you know, commanding from like a ridge or hill or something. So he wasn't going to have that, and they thought that the fact that it wasn't raining was a good thing because you know it would give them more visibility. But then. It turned out to be very, very bad for them. Because it um, always comes down to okay dragons. Yes, dragons are very useful when you're fighting an army and you don't want to get murdered. Um, yeah. <laughs> yep. But uh, building on what Jess says about how the the Tyrells take over Highgarden, I love the fa- like I love the fact that the original family in Highgarden were called the Gardeners. Um, but I also like that, you know, they kept they kept it by making the rose the sigil for the Tyrells. So it kind of still it kind of it, it's that it kind of like evolves from that. And I thought that I thought that was a really interesting way of seeing well, a house. The sigil was was a green hand. Yeah. But since hands keep getting cut off, roses <laughs> seem to be a little safer. <laughs> 
But it also goes to like uh, rewarding loyalty, right? Yes. Because the Tyrells were loyal to the Targaryens in this situation. Yep. They didn't mm-hmm. fight they against them. They yielded the castle. Yeah. So, well, because after all of the 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 gardeners died on the field of fire he and king lauren uh best name ever yay uh king lauren uh bent the knee and then uh he went to high garden to finish the conquest of that part of the country and uh harlan tyrell was the uh steward steward yeah and so he yielded the castle he was like, I- I'm, I'm good. I'm good. You take it. Um, I'm, I, the one thing I took from that, that whole battle though is like, the number of dead must be greatly exaggerated because <laughs> there would be no men at all in Westeros if they had killed thousands of men on just this one battle. Yeah, they said there was fifty five thousand men um, from the Westerlands against the Targaryens. Yeah, and I was like, no, no, and and this also plays into how. The way history is written, how things never, like, when you, we have to rely on primary sources, a lot of them seem to be very distorted. And I think it's it's interesting to see that how he's written this the way it would be written in any of the history books we read today. How you know that some of it is just full of shit, but you oh, have yeah. a basic idea of what, what really went on. Yeah, they lost. The that they was lost. the main thing. They did lose. They did lose. Um and so how about we talk about the only king that managed to keep all his, of his people alive? Well, two. Two, yes, two. Well, two kept all their people alive? Mm-hmm. King Ronald was a king. Yeah, but he was a boy. Well, he was still, you know. They, she managed, so. That's, yeah. yeah, well, that's, yeah. That's because his mother was smart. Uh, but yes, but... I think Torrin, smart, Torrin Stark was very intelligent not to try and face Aegon in the field and get burned alive. That was, you know. But he also spent a lot of time going to his men and and talking with them and seeing what they thought before he'd make any decisions, which showed he was a good leader in general. Yes, he was like, hey guys, should we not get burned? And they're like, yeah, that sounds great. Sounds like a plan. (laughs) Um, But Shara Aaron is pretty cool because, uh, yeah, Jenny, why don't you talk about that one a little bit? Well, what she? I mean, I feel like she was going to be a little bit more resistant, but then when she showed up and was like, "Oh, my son's hanging out with Visenya and flying on her dragon," uh, maybe I'll just you know go along with this and well, she was... you know be courteous and not die. It was shrewd. It was shrewd because was she smart. knew she knew that she was in a really bad place. She knew that she was going to lose this battle. And Visenya was like, here's my threat, and aren't I cute with your kid? And so that, that didn't work out in her favor, but she knew how to how to keep herself and her child alive, and that was a well, smart I mean, move. And that's, that's a little bit how I feel about like Sansa in the main story. You know, she's put in these terrible situations, but she is, like, she learns to sort of work with what she has. Yes. And so this kind of feels like that, whereas, you know, you get, you know, King Mern and and Heron the Black and Argilac and they're just like, nope, we're just not gonna, <laughs> we're just gonna be resistant all the way to our deaths. Yeah, and but that's I guess why to like give them it. I guess the benefit of the doubt or, or something. It's they've never seen dragons before, so they don't know how destructive they can be. 
So they underestimated give, the threat. I'll give Heron the Black, you know, some some slack. And maybe Argalac just because it happened right afterwards. But I do think that Myrna and Lauren were kind of dumb. Yeah. But you would also think that, like, there is trading going on between or was between Valyria and It's Westeros. true. I mean, they, they had would have heard swords. of dragons. You know, it was only, like, what, 100 years ago was the Doom, Right. Right. Right, so yeah. it wasn't as if this is like ancient history, like the White Walkers, where it seems like this mythological threat, like it was relatively recently in like the history of their world that dragons still like roam the earth. True. True. So it just seems like, okay, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but it's also like, okay. Exactly. But it's also pride, right? It's pride. Yeah, in sure. Like, it is. Like, yeah. Definitely. Definitely pride. Arrogance, hence Argalac's nickname. All right. Well, yes. speaking of arrogance, let's talk about Dorne's reaction. They were smart. <laughs> they fought. I also smart think for sure. Dorne has like a geographic advantage compared it to. It definitely does. They have yes. the mountains. They have the desert. So, yeah. like geographically, I think that was something they used to their ad- advantage and why they were so successful too. Whereas the other families, I think part of it was that their geography didn't work to their advantage the way Dorne's did. Mm-hmm. Right, because they have trouble getting their horses through there. They don't know how to maneuver the steps and all of that. And then, but they're... I also think they were willing to, you know, because they, I mean, they did, you know, also burn crops and poison wells and stuff like that. But they also A very did... Roman thing to do. Yeah, salting like, the earth. They didn't, you know, meet them in open battle, and they didn't, you know, they would just like disappear from their castles and stuff like that. So, I mean. Yes, the you know the the landscape definitely helped them, but I think they also were smarter. Oh, totally. I also wonder where they went. I know. Did they yeah. go through into the mountains? They must have like um, like passes in the mountains and caves that they must hide in. But it's a little disturbing that they left women and children behind. Like, it was mostly the men that ran, and like they'd go to land someplace, and there'd be some children and some elderly people and some women and that was it and especially because Dorne has women ruling so you would think that leaving women behind is probably not a smart idea well I guess it just depends on you know like ethics of war like are they going to burn those people anyway or are they gonna be like oh well there's no fighting men here I guess we'll go back yeah, and I also think, like, Westerosi, like, culture, there's no slavery, so it's not as if these people are going to become potential, like, slaves. Or maybe they just un- underestimated what women really were in Dorne, too. <clears throat> well, I think that's a theme of these chapters. We can talk about it later in terms of, like, how the women are sort of the highlights of the chapter. But I also <laughs> think, like, like Casterly Rock goes, like, down deep under you know, the rock. So I feel like if they'd wanted to, they could have probably outlasted the, like, siege of fire if they wanted to, you know? I feel like there were options for some of the other people. Possibly. And I feel like, you know, the north, there was probably options too, you know? Everyone talks about how big the north is. And conquering the north is a difficult thing to do. That's true, but... I mean, I still think he was smart to... to he was smart. I mean, he's the opposite of what Rob Stark does. Well, this is why I sort of give him a Jared 
as like a conqueror because he didn't conquer the Vale. He didn't conquer the North. He didn't conquer technically Dorne. Mm-hmm. Ever. You know what I mean? So to bent the knee, another of the seven kingdoms that he never conquered, you know, so he gets all this credit and all these I adulations, mean, but like really like he conquered maybe four of the, the seven. That's it. That said, you know, I mean, he didn't conquer the North specifically, but he showed enough power in the rest of Westeros that Torrin Stark felt compelled to bend the knee. Yeah. Rather than deal with fighting against dragons. Okay, and, that, that's fair. That's and fair. I mean, I feel like, you know, the Vale is a little bit of a special case because, you know, it their king was a boy and they didn't have that force to rally around the way that other people did or not even that but they didn't have someone they didn't have male pride to deal with i guess true yeah you know because king Mern and you know king lauren the first were like yeah we're gonna go you know fight this dragon and you know heron the black was like i've got my giant castle we're fine but you know at the, the you know shara aaron had to be smarter than than that and was willing to be smarter than that because she doesn't have her male ego to get over yeah and she <laughs> saves the life of her and her her ch- child as well as all her people but doesn't does he get killed later is that his brother get that gets killed later you guys haven't read that far <laughs> but also like to be fair like maria martel also had her own ego oh my god yes Do yeah you know she I mean? just so she's had an luckier. advantage <laughs> Yeah, that she was able to, but then even even with that, like she beat the Targaryens. But what do they call her? They call her a witch. They said that she was using sorcery, so they're not even letting her like have her victories. No, through. yeah, and, and they refer they 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 start calling it the um, what is it the uh, the Dorn cowardice, and that's why. And then they start blaming everything on her and using sorcery, and it's just because they can't even face up to the fact that. A woman beat all their asses. A woman beat dragons. Like, she didn't give a fuck. And she's pretty badass. Her tactics earned her only scorn. Dornish, Dornish courage became a mocking name for cowardice among the lords there and it is. of Aegon's kingdom. The toad hops into her hole when threatened, wrote one scribe. Another said, Maria fought like a woman with lies, treachery, and witchery. It just reminds me of how, like, you know, Trump used, like, nasty women. And that yeah. became, like, a rallying cry. Or- yep. McConnell, nevertheless, she persisted to Elizabeth Warren. It's like, okay, we'll, yep. t- we'll take our Dornish cowardice, you know? Yeah. yeah. Dornish courage. Ca- Dornish, Dornish courage. courage, yeah, and, like, reappropriate it for something else. But see, this all, it comes back to showing how Dorn has always been badass and how the women of Dorn have always been badass. And it's not just it's just not just sand snakes that are badass. It is in their blood from beginning to end. Like this is how Which they is are. Why the show makes me sad. But anyway, the TV, yeah, I, I'm I'm focusing on the books in my head because the TV show <laughs> Dorn does not exist in my head. Um, so yeah, so I, I loved reading about her. She really was. I just kept thinking she was Olena Tyrell in Aegon's age. She was like, "Fuck this shit. This is what I want." So, no, I I'll... liked I liked the quote about the words when you know Rainey's said, you know, next time we shall come with fire and blood, and she said, "Your words, our words are unbound, unbent, unbroken. You may burn us, my lady, but you will never bend. You will not bend us, break us, or make us bow. This is Dorne, and you are not wanted here. Return at your peril." Yep, and and it they was did her... end, and it was her peril because <laughs> yes. she died. That is very true. She died. They took her out. I mean, and. 
And that's definitely true of Torn. you know, I mean, not only did they fight smart, they also managed to take out a dragon, which yep. is not something that anybody else managed to do. Take out a dragon and a queen. So, mm-hmm. and his favorite on top of that. Poor Visenya. <laughs> well, Visenya... I think Visenya's amazing, and I think she's, like, really underrated. Yeah, but then she has other issues later on. But I'm just oh, saying, no. as, like, a leader, like, I just think she was probably the better of the three and i think it's because she's the oldest and so like typical older siblings they don't get to have that childhood they have to be the one who has to grow up quicker than the others and i think that plays a big factor like into her like even going back to when they took over duskendale right she told her her brother to not sack the city or not destroy it let's take the money but like keep it intact and let's like use it to our advantage forging alliances just like a number of things yeah she did like, in the conquering aspect of it, that, like, you know, it's called Aegon's Conquest, but really, like, she she did a lot, too, when we're talking about the conquering part of it. Well, she was I mean, as much a warrior as he was. I mean, not too. only not only did she have dark sisters, she trains alongside of him, and she was the, you know, when he was like, ah, don't worry, nobody's going to attack me, and she slices his face open with her sword before oh any God, of his guards can... Such I, a boss moment. <laughs> No, like before anybody can even say anything, she's cut his face open and she's like, there you bitch. <laughs> and so she. Which, yes, then she created the King's Guard because she was like, hey, you need, you know, good people to watch out for you. Otherwise, but also the ones that. that she picked were like top notch. Yes. Like set a high standard for who's going to be the ones guarding the king. Well, she picked yeah, top notch, but she also picked people who were loyal to them. Yes. And and which is not what... something that was always done later on but right and two of them died defending him and like these were people he wanted to just have them do like a tourney and whoever won was going to be it and she was like nope not this is not how it's working so i just think she she starts to go down a dark path later on but it is interesting how they're going to get into like alice and targaryen how like when women are sort of at the right hand of the men in westeros like things are working relatively well and there's peace right it's mm-hmm. sort of when you have the council of women around you uh you sort of need their perspective on things to help rule i mean jaharis had his his sister wife and he had his right. sister wives and that's why they were both very successful kings right that is very true whereas magor had wives but <laughs> oh it's so bad you guys. but i mean clear i feel like visenya towards the end was taking on the the targaryen insanity because she was just she distrusted everyone she was very very paranoid and then of course after he dies and she's trying to get her son to be in charge things start to go downhill and we all know what magor becomes later on although some people on twitter seem to think that we should be feeling sorry for him we'll get there next time um (laughs) uh, but I think it's sad because I think she she was really brilliant. And then I just think she unfortunately falls into the Targaryen pattern of insanity. I also think they've all worked best when they're like together. Right. Yes. It's like three, the three heads of them together, like really are what makes it successful. So like two of them are gone by that point, And so that's probably a factor as well. True. Well, I mean, I also think like. I mean, to get into the, the kids a little bit, you know, I mean, because, you know, Rhaenys gave 
him a son first and then you know she was worried about whose name by the way will always be anus to me because i don't know how else to pronounce it i just say anies so it sounds slightly better it still looks like anus but go on Um, I do like getting all the new Targaryen names in here just because I'm like, oh, new random weird spellings of things. Yeah. Like, like, uh, Alex and Megan and yeah. Gaiman. Megan or Alex. Yeah. <laughs> Gaiman. God. So we've talked a little about Visenya. Um, let's talk a little about Rainus and what she was like. Wait, wait, before we finish on Visenya, oh, we do sorry. have to shout out to her, her fool Lord Monkey Face. Right. Oh, that's and, true. Uh, because we always have to mention all the fools. Rachel will be very angry if we didn't. Oh my God. Rachel will hunt me down. Are you kidding me? And, uh, George and his like, you know, terrible thing. just some of the things in here just like make me. <laughs> cringe but like Lord Punky Face and the ape that replaced him it's very terrible it's awful <laughs> she, she I was... also just also on that note like the description of uh, Maria Martel very fat blind and almost bald her skin sallow and sagging the yellow toad of, yellow toad of Dorne <laughs> it's just every time he has to like describe someone who's you know, obese or overweight or whatever. It's just always the first description. I'm like, George, come on. Oh my god. And also shout out to that that maester that that grand maester that that broke his hip and and slipped in the mud and broke his hip and died a short while after. Because I I was like cracking up reading that line for some reason. <laughs> god, you are demented. <laughs> anyway, so let's talk a little about Rainus because we've talked about Visenya, and we we know what she's become. Um, and Rainus, Rainus seemed to be the more delicate of the sisters, still fierce in her own way, but, but definitely well, kinder of the two. She was the, the better two. dragon rider. That, she was better than both of them, actually. Well, mm-hmm. to be fair, she doesn't have the same sort of responsibilities as the older two, right? She's sort of the youngest one, so she gets to be more playful, gets to spend time on, you know, frivolous things compared to her two older siblings who have to be more responsible and dutiful than she does so she gets to be a kid basically longer true very true but she takes some things very seriously that are important things like she was she was very protective of women mm-hmm. and and when that one woman is beaten what a hundred like at least a hundred blows by her husband and she makes sure that he gets punished by it and start that whole rule of thumb and uh the rule of the rod rule of six rule of six six, yeah right um but like she 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 she's very kind but she takes she takes violence towards women and children very seriously and she's very protective of them common with danny what was that so she has that in common with danny yes very much so very much so um and also i love the fact that she was she was a fan of the arts and but it was but it was a shrewd reason for being a fan of the arts too it wasn't just because she loved listening to singers and art she loved the fact that they could also if if they were treated kindly they would take their their music elsewhere and sing of the kindness and the beauty of of the king and the queens thereby letting people know how wonderful they were and spreading the word of what they were so that was a very smart move on her end. That's the other thing I like about um, 
Aegon's rule is just like his whole like royal progress around the 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 kingdoms and you know his quote that was uh what is it it's better to forestall rebellions than put them down yeah i wrote that quote down too Um, right just like going around the kingdoms and showing power but also you know taking the time to you know as we said before to you know learn the culture of the locals and their their local laws and you know govern them that way yeah. And yeah, that that was that's the connection to sort of Alexander the Great and Suleiman the Magnificent that I wrote down in the show notes is how when they both sort of conquer, they're not pushing their culture onto people, they're assimilating. And I think right. that works effectively when people feel like you're not like forcing your culture onto them, they're more likely to not rebel and they're more likely to show you loyalty. And so I think But I also that think way, continuing to, you know, ride around on dragon back and like show everybody that hey look remember dragons it's probably also a smart move are we talking about Aegon now yeah because i have some things to say about him yes please talk about Aegon. so i think what makes him really effective is he sort of recognizes his own ignorance on certain subjects his ignorance on certain kingdoms of westeros and so rather than acting like he knows it all that he's an expert on things he yields to the experts in the different, te- you know, categories or the master of coin when it comes to economics or the master of ships when it comes to the Navy, when it comes to all these different realms, he's going to go to these people and ask them their opinion about like the politics of the North or the politics of the reach. When it comes to religion, he goes to like the high Septon and has those people around him. It, yeah, he definitely does that. And he's, you know, they do say he didn't, he left a lot of the governance to other people at, to his council and his wives because they were they were really good at it and he didn't he only stepped in really when he needed to so he was smart he 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 knew when to step away and when to be part of it but even just like forming sort of his own imperial council which then becomes the small council right so he's setting a lot of precedents for future kings of westeros to like have that foundation right to have the small council of experts and like listening to them and not yes. saying, okay, I don't know more than you do when it comes to economics of Westeros or more than you do when it comes to religion or whatever um, field of knowledge it is. Like he, he recognizes that he is a foreigner, an invader, but he is trying to acclimate himself to the world that he's conquered. And I think that's why he was so successful and why he peace reigned for so long in his when he was around. Right. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. So... Um, all right, so we discussed the three, the the three, uh, the three of them, the the king and the queens. What, what do you wish was included in this book that, or at least in this in this section of the book that I you felt was left out was in the letter? Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> so the letter that Jenny's referring to is from Daria uh, Martel. Is that the person's name? I believe mm-hmm. so, yes. Who writes a letter on behalf of her father that Aegon reads out loud to everybody in King's Landing and then he burns it afterwards, but soon after that, Dorne No, he doesn't comes. read it. He doesn't, he read, doesn't it read it out loud. He she, reads it in reads front it of them, but he reads it silently. She oh. says, for your eyes only. Yeah. And so, like, we don't know what was in the letter, but we do know soon after that, Dorne yields to Aegon and then it becomes part of the Seven Kingdoms. It says... Um, it was then that Princess Daria presented the king with a sealed letter from her father. For your eyes only, your grace. King Aegon read Prince Nymor's 
words in open court, stone-faced and silent, while seated on the iron throne. When he rose afterward, men said his hand was dripping with blood. He burned the letter and never spoke of it again. But that night he mounted Valerian and flew off across the waters of Blackwater Bay to Dragonstone upon its smoking mountain. When he returned the next morning, Aegon Targaryen agreed to the terms proposed by Nymor. So soon thereafter, he signed a treaty of eternal peace with Dorne. So yeah, we don't actually know what was in it. No one does. And, and you, you wonder where he went and what he was thinking about. And it's kind of crazy. Um, what else I, do we, is there anything else you wish was on that was talked about? Yeah, I guess more of like Egon's personality. You get an idea of like how his two sisters were, but not really his personality. But then also like his motivations, like we know he conquered, but we don't, he's not, there's nothing in the chapters about how he thinks it's his calling or it's some higher power that's telling him to do it. So like his actual motivations for conquering it, but that's something I would have wanted to know. Yeah, that was my biggest question was, well, what made him think that he should be king? What made him think that he had the right to... Because again, in the book it mentions that he came from Dragonstone, but he didn't really... But part of the book was saying how uh, it wasn't until he stepped foot in Westeros. And I was like, but isn't Dragonstone part of Westeros? And then I was wondering whether it wasn't officially part of Westeros at that time. I don't think it was really because... It was an outpost of... No one was, you know, trying to hold on to it i mean i think i do think um like as the the chapters go on you know there starts to be more information on personalities and you get a little bit more of who these people were rather than Aegon, who's just the conqueror you know you don't you get a little bit of like what he did but you don't get anything on who he is at all whereas you know, as you start getting into the others, you get a lot more of that. And but that I'm can sh- also be like intentional. Sort I think of, it almost is like this godlike figure. Well, I also think I also think you know, the other kings. You know, were always part of Westeros, whereas he was. You know, people didn't know who he was really before that. So I think, from like a history writing perspective, maybe it's meant to be more sparse. That's true. Because, I mean, you think about it, you've you've got maesters and, you know, whoever who's writing the histories, you know, living with the other kings from the time they're born to, you know, when they're ruling, whereas Aegon came in at, you know, 20-whatever. and. But I'm sure if you were, like, reading about, like, the histories of the North or something, a maester who was in Winterfell writing about Aegon visiting... Would have probably more details about that yeah that's true, true. like that's different true. kingdoms that he went to perhaps like those people or those maesters might have kept like entries into like history books about like what Aegon was like and what he did when he was there unless he was just a really aloof person <laughs> he's very busy he never seemed definitely, to like stay definitely in one busy. Spot. yeah I know it's like six months out of every year we're gonna go and do all of this stuff and uh that needs to put time on Dragonstone and King's Landing. I do like the description of King's Landing and how they're like, nothing was planned. It just sort of like grew up around these hills. And it's like New York. That's why, it, you know, it, it's exactly like New York. That's what I was thinking too. It was like, here's a plot of land and everything slowly but surely. And now it's Long Island City is like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, 
I guess that I think we've we've milked this cow. Um, <laughs> or this dragon? No, can dragons be milked? I don't think so. I don't know. Well, we we I, I did we have it? Well, we had female dragon. Now I gotta think about this guy. We do know it. there are female dragons because one of them was uh, Silverwing was referred to as a yes, she. She was a she. Mm-hmm. That is and correct. She had a mate. I forgot what his name was. Yeah. I don't remember off the top of my head. Was anyway, Jaharis's dragon. Yeah, because that's Vermithor. There yeah. we go. So, do we toast to to Jon Snow or do we toast to Aegon? He is Aegon. Remember? That's <laughs> oh, don't, I I can't. I can't with we you today. To I really can't with you today. <laughs> or to Lord Monkey Face. Or let's toast to, to Monkey let's Face. Let's toast to the Yellow Toad of Dorne. Okay, I'm all down for toasted to the Yellow Toad of Dorne with some poisoned water. Uh, or a Prosecco in your case. Oh, gosh. <laughs> All right. To the Yellow Toad of Dorne. To the Yellow Toad of Dorne. Okay. To the Yellow Toad of Dorne. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. And so he broke that sacred oath, that Lord of the Crossing. And now the pie crusts cover his kin, and they're so good to eat. Yes, now the pie crusts cover his kin, revenge it tastes so sweet. Okay, back there. <coughs> Sorry, I'm joking. Yeah. Try not to die. You sound like Frankie it's when she sneezes. Dragon smoke <coughs> in the field of fire. She's like coughing it up. She's coughing it's... up her hairballs. Okay. <coughs> Are you all right there? <coughs> I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying. It's great. It's great. <coughs> <coughs> all right. Ugh. Do you want to get some water? You good? Uh, hold on. One second. Okay. I should drink the Prosecco that's sitting here. Oh, yeah. That'll help. Prosecco.